If you've been watching the sport for a decent amount of time, you'll know that fighters often call out people who are well above them in the rankings or come up with excuses for losses to justify why they might have had a bad performance. First thing I did this morning was sneezed three times. And of course, there's also people who play characters like Charles Sonnen or Colby Covington. Charles didn't actually think he was the one 85 pound champion with a fake belt. That's not your belt. <laughs> well, who's to propose it is? He wasn't being delusional. He was. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Just trying to make you laugh and be interested. Even Sean O'Malley at this point, I think he knows he's not undefeated, but he's still sold a ton of merch while memeing his only loss. The thing is, though, there's definitely also been times where fighters have said or done something so completely ridiculous and so out of touch with the reality of the situation that it's almost been impossible to go unnoticed. I'm Balian from MMA On Point. Let's give a quick hand to our Hall of Famers for supporting the content. And here are the 10 most delusional fighter moments in MMA history. Number 10, BJ Penn, Coward Tactics. Okay, so in the office the other day, we we're putting together a list of the most important champions from every UFC division. And Lightweight has definitely had a few of those. And we had to put BJ at the top because without him, there might not even be 155 in the UFC. At UFC 137, BJ fought Nick Diaz and he welcomed him back to the UFC. And it was, of course, a massive fight. And there wasn't really any bad blood going into it. They both mainly just talked about how good the fight was actually going to be. You know, Nick Diaz, without a doubt, one of the best fighters in the world. Now, one thing to mention is this fight was actually at welterweight. And when they got in there, to throw down it was a complete war and Nick absolutely got the best of BJ and, and beat him up yeah, that's never happened to BJ before what happened to him tonight said he wants to retire we'll see how that plays out BJ had admitted defeat and he even shared the locker room with Nick afterwards they appeared to be on good terms which is why it was so surprising three months later BJ put out a tweet longer in it he seemed like he'd suddenly changed his opinion on the loss he said Nick only won because of coward tactics whatever those are and that if he scrapped with him from the beginning BJ would have won but he kind of did scrap with him the reality was really though that Nick beat him everywhere in the fight and nobody really knew what BJ was talking about it was so far removed from the actual fight at this point as well it just didn't make BJ look good at all number nine Rose Namajunas' game plan the strawweight division is arguably the best women's division in the sport it's had a multitude of different champions who were all absolute killers in their own right but Rose Namajunas beat all of them but one person she just couldn't seem to beat was Carla Esparza by the time their rematch came around, it just didn't seem like the Cookie Monster was going to be on Rose's level. Until the fight started, and then after the first round, we all kind of looked at each other and realised the game plan Rose had was probably not going to work. It wasn't just that. I mean, that's more bad strategy than delusional. It's what happened afterwards on the MMA Hour, where her and Pat Barry doubled down on it. I'm happy with where we are right now. She needed a certain question answered, and somewhere in those five rounds, she found it. What was the question and what was the answer? Ultimately, it was like, not only win, but like dominate and set myself apart from the rest of the division. That's why I talked about it in all my interviews leading up to it. We had a strategy and she stuck to it. I don't think there was any mistakes. Look, it's super understandable when the plan doesn't come together, but to still think it was a good idea when looking back at it, when you lost, something is just not fitting together. Number eight, Conor McGregor, 19 and one. 
Obviously, Conor McGregor is a highly ambitious man. I think even his parents thought he was delusional that he could become a cage fighter, let alone turn his life around completely. When I was a kid, I used to visualize stadiums. And even when I was playing football, I'd kick the ball against a wall and I'd and pretend that I scored a goal and I'd run off and I'd be raising my hand and visualizing a arena full of fans. When Conor talks about winning a boxing world title, it might have seemed unrealistic, but I don't think you would actually call it delusional. I will get a boxing world title. Yeah. Then you're probably going to have to box multiple times to get that. No. <laughs> <laughs> there is a difference, though, in believing in your ability and your achievements, and I guess the best way to describe it is blinding yourself to all the other realities around you. And that's kind of what most people felt like was happening when he sat down to interview Stephen A. Smith at ESPN before the third Poirier fight. My record in mixed martial arts competition is 19 wins and one loss. I only count knockouts. I only count knockouts. The only thing that's final in this business is a knockout. All the other the decisions, the taps, all that shit means nothing to me. I'm coming to take a man's head off. That's obviously a lot of confidence coming from Connor, but when you have lost in a sport where you can get limbs broken or choked unconscious or beaten up over 15 minutes, most fighters acknowledge where they went wrong previously and try not to let it happen again. Number seven, Nick Diaz never loses. In any kind of competition, it's pretty normal to be upset when you lose, especially if you give as much as MMA fighters have to, because this isn't really a sport, it's a fight. And I suppose we don't know if it's Nick's war mentality or if it's part of the reason he's been able to get himself back in the cage after tough defeats, but he always seems to have a reason for why he lost that doesn't seem obvious to us. When he lost to Condit for the interim title, Carlos was staying away from Nick and it was a pretty controversial fight. When a guy comes out with a game plan that stylistically isn't working with him, you know, and, and, and you saw in a couple cases there, it started to work and then Condit would get right back into, into his game plan. They gave the win to Condit and Nick told Bloody Elbow, I'm not going to accept the fact that this was a loss. He was so pissed he temporarily retired after that one. But one of the most delusional reasons for a loss came after his title fight against GSP. So he got controlled and dominated by George and then TMZ caught up with him outside a hotel a few years after the fight and Nick was still talking about the loss. They poisoned my IV with some kind of weird ass joke. I never slept more than five or six hours a night. I slept 14 hours. I'm like, would you put my IV, dude? It all just seemed a bit hard to believe that anyone would want to poison Nick or that they thought they could get away with it, especially if all he did was sleep for a long time. That's something a lot of fighters struggle with. I mean, it sounds like he might have done him a favour. Number six, Juliana Pena is scary. Amanda Nunes is undisputedly the GOAT of women's MMA. There's just nothing to argue with there. She did, however, lose to Juliana Pena, who really had to blood and guts her way to victory. People said Nunes was off and that debate continued until they rematched and Amanda literally beat her everywhere and she was, you know, levels above her and the rest of the competition. She just did that again in the last title fight and then she retired. Don't blame her. Legendary career. But while all that was going on, Juliana Pena was cage side and she was literally caught on camera booing the lioness. Obviously, Julie was pissed, but the thought that Amanda was ducking her seemed completely bonkers. I told you back then in April that she was one foot out the door and she was going to retire. Well, there was a part of me that really wanted to storm the cage. She knows, you know, what's what's at risk. Attack. Wow. You know, she, she knows that she's she's going to be in there for a long night. Nunes has beaten everyone in that division and she did say she had knee issues and she just had COVID when they first fought. In the rematch, it looked like Amanda was doing whatever she wanted to her. I don't think anyone believes she was scared to fight Pena again. 
What more was there to prove? Number five, the Crone Gracie game plan. Everyone in MMA loves a good storyline, don't they? And that comes along with the Gracies. They were the original UFC champions. So there's a whole martial arts mystique right there. So when you have someone like Crone Gracie, who's the son of perhaps the most notorious Gracie of all time, people can very easily begin to believe in the power of jiu-jitsu. And Crone is a phenomenal black belt. But when you're trying to translate that skill set into the world of modern mixed martial arts, all the belief that something magical is just going to happen isn't going to replace the fact that pure BJJ just doesn't work anymore in the sport. Never was that more clear than at UFC 288. You know, I like Crone a lot, and uh, he's a good kid. He came in very limited tonight. You know, it was like coming out of a time capsule in 1995, you know what I mean? You know, I don't want to shit on his performance, but... Yeah, that was a, that was a rough, rough game plan. The explanation from Chrome was that he was trying to please the jiu-jitsu community. And even if he thinks it would be better if all MMA fights were one long 25-minute round, fights aren't to the death, no matter how much he wants them to be. And even if they were, I'm pretty sure you would need to use some striking. Number four, Dylan Dallas's call-outs. Who, who is this guy? Is he an MMA fighter? Because I have not seen him fight since 2019, despite calling out multiple people and even having fights booked that he never seemed to be on board with in the first place. Most people weren't even aware of who he was until Habib jumped out of the cage to attack him. And since then, he seemed to have run with whatever publicity he can generate. I think people might actually have more respect for his skill set if he actually took any of the fights he's been campaigning for on social media, where some of his tweets can only be described as delusional. Never were some of his delusions more clear than on the MMA hour when he sat down with Ariel Helwani. It's not like I don't want to fight. It's the stupidest thing ever. Like, why wouldn't I want to fight? Right. But um, you talk about fighting all the time. Yeah, of course. Time. I want to fight. Once I'm ready to fight, now I'm ready to go. And I'm about to make the biggest bag on anybody in MMA. How much are you going to pay? I'm not going to say, but it's way more than anybody. Well, tell us the in... truth. Then it's another lie. I have to put it. No, but once it comes out, then you could see. Hmm. I mean, that fight never even happened. And then he continued to call out other people like he didn't just pretend he was going to fight KSI for several months. Someone go to London and see who gets more popular, me or KSI. KSI has a big freaking deal. I know, yeah, but I'm more popular in London. I have more respect. Number three, TJ Dillashaw is Superman. I don't think TJ would have got where he is in the sport if it wasn't for his relentless competitive attitude. There's a story about his first day at Alpha Male and just wanting to spar even though he was getting beaten up, you know, injuring Chris Holdsworth in training. Pretty much everyone on that team will tell you how competitive he is as an athlete. I shot in on TJ and, you know, I was on all fours. He was sprawled out and he kneed me on top of the head. For that practice, I was concussed and that was my first concussion. And was it to his own detriment? Yes, 100%. Because no matter how good you think you might be, it's pretty hard to argue that going into a title fight against a dominant world champion with a shoulder that is so injured it can't stay in its socket and thinking you can still win is pretty delusional. I'm sure he had, he was confident enough to know, hey man, I'm still getting through these training sessions. I, I believe in myself. I still think I can win. Kudos for him for having that self-belief, but you're delusional as fuck. And it wasn't just that. Even after the fight, TJ was still adamant that he was better than him. The guy literally reached into his jock strap, pulled out a crumpled piece of paper and just started a laundry list of excuses after telling me I'm the one with the built-in excuses. I'm like, dude, if I lost, I would have just ate the L. Eat the L, bro. Just shut up. Don't forget, you know, TJ had just sat out because of his suspension for EPO, and a lot of people felt like he didn't even deserve that title shot in the first place, and he took that opportunity. And for what? You might say the money, but I genuinely think he thought he could win. Number two, CM Punk could be a world champion. Okay, so if you're talking about delusional MMA careers, you know, for most people, I think the first person that comes to mind is CM Punk. I can probably kick your ass. 
That is very true. Not necessarily because he was wrong in thinking he could fight, but that jumping straight into the UFC at the highest level was the best idea. When they announced he'd be joining the UFC, he said he had a background in Kempo, had been doing BJJ on and off for a very long time. That's great, and I'm sure he'd be able to beat up you know, Joe Schmo, but the UFC is the very best there is. I don't know, publicity stunt. I'm never going to put in the octagon. Uh, I look forward to proving them wrong. But you know what? What if I put three or four wins together? Who's to say I don't get a title shot? That is a pretty crazy thing to say, especially when, well, the guy had never had a fight, never been in a cage, even as an amateur. Putting everything you've learned into practice is hard. It's really hard. Even staying composed and calm is something you have to learn. You ever have a moment where you were like, what the hell did I get myself into? No. Never doubted yourself? No. Recently we did... I think Duke likes to call them scrimmages. Okay. You know? And essentially, in my mind, what they are is amateur fights. But I'm sure you're winning some here and there, right? Oh, I doubt it. You doubt it. <laughs> it just doesn't sound like he had any real experience at all, unfortunately. Even against a 1-0 Mickey Gall, it's a big ask to even make that a competitive fight, unless you're a total prodigy. The prodigy. The prodigy. The prodigy. Pardon me. Same. The prodigy. But he wasn't. He was maybe even too old to get started. I mean, he got in there, and he definitely got paid to do it. But believing he was going to be able to compete is almost like ignorance is bliss. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. Number one, just Diego Sanchez in general. You know, for a time, this guy was literally the ultimate fighter. Won the first season of the show, beat up a bunch of guys on his arrival. Never afraid to throw down fan favorite. You know, he was the man. Yes! 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 Hey, that's just straight up Diego entertainment for you guys. Can we see one right now? No. That's a little too much. Okay. He never won a title, but it didn't really matter because he was never in a boring fight. You watch me on The Ultimate Fighter, taking in energy from the storm, pulling it in. But the more we saw of him, the more we got to see the crazy walkouts, the crystals, the belief that despite being way past his prime, he was going to make another run for the title. My goals are still the same. My goal is to be the welterweight UFC champion of the world. It is my destiny. I will fight for this. I will live for this. I will bleed, sweat and cry for this. I'm not stopping until I get my goal of becoming the UFC welterweight champion. Beyond all of that, the most delusional part of his career has to be when he started working with Joshua Fabia. How did this guy, someone who worked with one of the best coaches in the sport, Greg Jackson... You know, me and Greg, it's just a special bond. Um, I was one of his first fighters ever. He trained me since I was 19 years old. He was like, like, like basically like a father figure to me. A UFC veteran, how did he decide, you know what, I'm going to work with a guy who has no MMA experience, no real athletic credentials, that's who I want as my coach. Everything that came out of that camp was delusional. The corner advice, the training methods, the backstage posturing, even the actual fight strategies. You guys were like the tough guys and all this stuff. If nobody's gonna know what the fuck you're talking about. To believe that this guy was actually gonna help him and he wasn't just leeching off the last stages of Diego's career, there's only one word for it, delusional. Luke Taylor might be delusional in thinking he's ever going to get Sean O'Malley's phone number so he can smoke with him and dye their hair together, but he did edit this list, so I guess he's okay. Show him some love on social media at calltome underscore. I also thank you for banging out the classic MMA on point intro tune once again. Ben Rosette, always very much appreciated. Biggest thank you, though, goes to the MMA on point channel champions. Thanks for getting involved in the creative process and supporting the channel. Hope you've been enjoying the exclusive content. If you want to join them, you can by clicking the button below. I don't think it's delusional to ask for 
a thumbs up if you enjoyed this video or a subscribe if you want to support the channel and see more of our stuff. I've been Balian. I'll see you in the next one.